Carnivorous couch, shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch with Brady and Rob. Hi everybody, hi everybody, hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, where we do a film a week with two film geeks. Uh, it's a spoiler full podcast. This week we're doing the 2000, what, like nine, seven. seven film Ratatouille. That's my gospel year. You know this. <laughs> do I? I've told, I think I've said this on podcast time now. Like 2007 is maybe the deepest bench. Of oh no, I definitely knew it. Year. I was just being... Uh, you know, adjusting some levels and things and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, we have uh, me, Rob, and Brady, of course, you've heard, and then we also have Tess. Tess, she's here as well. Uh, who wants to start? What do we do? Will we start with a plot synopsis? Uh, yeah, we do. I guess I'll do it. Yeah, uh, I'll uh, do it. All right. Okay, so we start. Uh, we start with this kind of news broadcast uh, a French news broadcast and it's saying that oh you know of of all the places in the world the best places to cook the best cooks live in France and the best cooks in France live in Paris and so the best cooks in Paris some say work at Gusteau's and we meet this character um, of Gusteau who is a portly French chef and the news broadcast is talking about how he has this book called Anyone Can Cook and he's a big celebrity chef who also kind of advocates that everyone should try to partake in the artistic process. And here we meet uh, Gusteau's nemesis and foil, Anton Ego, a food critic. And so he says that he finds that amusing that Gusteau doesn't seem to take cooking seriously. And he, he says in that wonderful, low Peter O'Toole voice that, I, however, take cooking seriously. And no, I don't think anyone can do it that was really good and so we go from there to a farmhouse in rural france and uh, a shotgun blast goes off and a rat jumps out of a window holding a book and freeze frames this is remy the rat voiced by one of my favorite comedians Patton oswalt and so he takes us through his life as part of this rat colony and he works with his father and brother and his affliction is his that... His brother's name is Emil. His brother's name is Emil. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his father is, is Brian Dennehy, which is funny because there's... But a, he's just a, called Dad most of the time. Yeah, but he's voiced by Brian Dennehy, and Patton Oswalt has a really funny bit about meeting Brian Dennehy <laughs> at the snack table. <laughs> and Brian Dennehy encouraged him to gorge himself. Uh, <laughs> and so what we learn is... He has an affliction because he has a developed sense of smell. Most rats consume anything, uh, but he is very into food because he has this ability to process it. And so he's thinking maybe that'll be a good thing, but instead it gets him shafted and pushed into the role of poison checker for the, the uh, colony. And his dad still doesn't understand why he wants to only eat good food. And his quote is, uh, if you are what you eat, I only want to eat the good stuff. And his dad's quote is, food is fuel. If you get picky about what you put in the tank, your engine is going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got no... You should do Peter <laughs> If no one wants it, then why are we stealing it? 
it's not stealing. That's what I didn't get is like, why does he keep calling them thieves when they're eating garbage? He's the thief. Well, no, the dad keeps going like, <laughs> we're not thieves. Yeah, the dad's oh, saying, We take yeah. what they don't want. Yeah. Right. And then, yeah, the dad is like, why? no one wants it. Why are we taking it? Clean. That's, clean. A, that's a good point. So he really, yeah, like, he, he, secretly, really he wants to be the thief, but doesn't want to be a thief at the same time. Right. right. Uh, what What's the thing that Gustav says is, uh, uh, thieves take and cooks make. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, gusto. 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 Hey. Uh, so okay. So anyway, then uh, so we learn a lot about Remy, which is that he is an artist. He's got a picky a mind chef. state. He's a chef. He wants to actually make things, and he says that's what he admires about human is that rather than subsistence living, they try to make uh, meaningful things out of even their basic necessities like food and uh, all that. Yeah, and he's a lot of human qualities. He walks on two legs because he doesn't want to yeah, taste where he's been putting his feet. Yeah, he doesn't want to constantly reads. wash his hands. He washes he his reads. hands. He so reads. He reads. Uh, <laughs> and so, yeah, and so we uh, basically go to a scene where he uh, runs into his brother, and his brother, who's been out foraging, has found a mushroom. And Oh, no, no, not a mushroom. Remy's found the mushroom, but... Emil has found a bag which includes some very nice cheese uh, with a very fancy long name. And so he's like, oh, this is go brilliant with my mushroom. And Emil's like, oh, yeah, I guess we could just put it on the pile. He's like, no, you don't just put this in with anything. This is special. <laughs> and so they Recite go up. the movie. Yeah, they, <laughs> they go. I know. I'm sorry. I hope I'm not doing that too much. Uh, so we they go. Add a clip. Okay. Add a clip no, no, don't. <laughs> Honestly, this thing is going to take as long as it takes. Like, fuck it at this point, guys. Some of these things take 20 minutes. When it does, fuck it. Just settle in. I promise to go as fast as possible. I went. So they go up to this rooftop to roast the mushroom with the cheese, and they get struck by lightning. And so. <laughs> Which should have killed them by all Which, rights. Which should have killed them. But well, it doesn't kill people. It's direct current. Lightning yeah, doesn't kill people because it's direct current. It's not. It's not alternating current. Alternating current tends to kill people because if it arcs across your heart, it makes your mu- your heart muscles spasm at that speed, basically causing a huge problem. But if it just goes straight through <laughs> you like from dead. head to foot, um, <laughs> it's a jolt. Um, but very much uh, since it's direct current, it doesn't uh, cause you to burn out your heart muscles and fuck shit up. Sounds accurate. I believe. Yeah. So. They get struck by lightning, and then the lightning sizzles the cheese into the mushroom, and Remy tastes. He's like, wow, that's amazing. That's like a one-of-a-kind flavor. It, it tastes lightning-y. Uh, and so he says, well, Emil let's... Says it tastes I just came up with a fan theory, guys. Okay, I got to say this before I forget it. So the way that he is able to control the kid with his hair is because he, he developed... Sp- Super crazy ESP powers from being struck by lightning that happens, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Theory. Go anyway. for it. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yes. Emil says it tastes lightningy, y um, And so, yeah, this is, uh, but to Remy, it's like, wow, like this is a flavor that could have only happened from the infinitesimal chance of a thing being struck by lightning. So we need to rig this up again <laughs> and uh, try to cook this again. But we need saffron. Saffron would make this. They need to go to the kitchen to get the saffron. And so there they accidentally end up... Well, first that Remy... the kitchen door creaking open. Yeah, Remy learns an important fact, which is that Gusteau ended up dying of heartbreak when Anton Ego, the food critic, 
uh, gave his restaurant uh, took away a star. Yeah, and uh, and and because he died, the restaurant lost another star, which is kind of blackly humorous. <laughs> um, uh, Gusto so is not here. The man who lost a star, thus the man who gained all the stars, and the man who will lose another star in death. <laughs> and so uh, then Whoa, ha, 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 the evil. the old woman, the old French woman who lives in the house ends up waking up, and there's a big, uh, fun chase scene where she's got a shotgun and is just going to town on these rats, and she's shooting all... <laughs> and a gas mask. Yeah, and a and gas mask. all sorts of World War II granny. See, there, I'll, I'll, I'll put a theory forth there. She's total resistance. That woman was in the French uh, resistance. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> are they in France? Yeah. Yeah, they're in okay, France. Okay, I wasn't sure if he was in France or if At he somehow time, made yeah, it he's, to France. He's not, after in, he's not in Paris yet, but he's right, in France. Right, he's in France. Yeah, right. he's in France. Uh, and that's why he idolizes a French cook, too. Well, I, but I guess he's world famous. He could have. Yeah, he's world famous. So anyway. He uh, he I don't think he even knew that he was in France. Like. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's yeah. move on. Anyway. Um, Thus, I didn't know, which is why so I So the woman starts shooting so haphazardly that eventually she brings down the entire rat colony out of the attic, and they all go tearing off. And, and something the film has fun with is just, Kind of how disgusting rats moving on moss look. Yeah, uh, that's so good. Just a bunch of like writhing little furry bodies of different colors. That's hor- It's a cartoon movie for kids, and that that scene is horrifying. It's an excellent set piece. Yeah, it's so it's so it's like actually kind of gross, and it's not even supposed to be like you, you know the characters, you know that they're supposed to not be like as gross, and like you see that. Yeah, and well, it's, just so it's something nasty. the film has fun with. Cause <laughs> I, I would shoot a f- rifle at that <laughs> like the the film has fun with the image of a rat because even earlier i think around the time when remy's introducing himself you first like see a rat but it's in this like very classic like silhouetted gleaming yeah. eyes sharp um so anyway in the process uh i don't think we need to de- describe the full chase scene even though it's very good and uh it simultaneously makes use of water technology and the brand new fur technology uh, Incredibles pioneered water technology for the first time, and Ratatouille was the first to get fur completely right. So they're having a ball being able to combine these two. Yeah, they're like, hey, look at us. Look at what we made. He also escapes on a book. He escapes on the book, on Gusteau's cookbook. Well, yes, because the book and, and the thing that he you know, wanted the most was escape from his life. Right. And so uh, eventually, you know, at the end of the chase, he washes up in the sewer, and he's only got the book. And he turns to it, and there's a picture of Gusto uh, sniffing an eclair. And all of a sudden, the photo comes to life and starts talking to him. And this will become a device throughout the movie that, uh, though the movie does foreground that this is all a figment of Remy's imagination. Uh, so it's his dialogue with himself. You have lost your family. Everything. <laughs> of that's good. That's why I'm talking to you. That was a very good. Uh, you guys should do this for uh, understudies. <laughs> yeah, He'll right. be Peter O'Toole, and you'll be. Perhaps Stop. some other week. If I don't love it, I don't swallow. You're so good at that. Um, Do, s- sing, you must try popular. things. Popular. You must try <laughs> things that aren't good <laughs> and fail in order to become good. This is yeah. so good. You guys can just get <laughs> find a find a scene where it's two people that are arguing in that very way. All right. So anyway, um, <laughs> chop chop chop. All right. Enough interruptions. I'm gonna do this. Let's do this. Ready? So the book tells him, well, stop moping around like you've lost your family, but like life goes on. Get up there. Uh, go see what's about. Cook. 
And so, uh, and we have another very good set piece where Remy is kind of crawling up through the uh, backboards of an apartment complex, and you see into all these uh, windows. Uh, there's even a little Easter egg. You actually see the silhouette of Doug from Up uh, barking mm-hmm. at him. Yeah, and there's also, you know, just uh, Paris lovers. I hate you. Smack, kiss, love. I love that. <laughs> you don't have the guts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the the important thing that happens here, though, is, uh, and Rob already mentioned this line, is Remy is very hungry, so at a cocktail party, he tries to grab a little piece of bread, and the ghost of Gusteau is like, what are you doing? Like, you're What are you doing? Thief. You're not a common thief. A cook makes things. It doesn't take from the world. A cook makes. A thief takes. Indeed. Uh, Oh, and also, because this is going to become a big thing when we get into theme, when I say cook, I mean artist. This is a movie about art in general, but cook is our avenue into that. Uh, So, eventually, he gets to the top of this roof complex and realizes, like, oh, my God, you led me to, to Paris, France, like the... The end all be all of places to be for my art. And and not only that, he has actually led him to Gusto's restaurant. Um, and so we get to the restaurant and <laughs> I'm so slow, I'm sorry. And so he's uh Gusto's kind of quizzing him, like, Oh well, look down, tell me like all the different chef positions. I'm glad that there's no other characters that we have to introduce. I me too. Oh, and man. so and so uh, like then he's like, he, he's talking about the sous chef and the party and demi chef de party. Uh, and, <laughs> and tell us each of their backstories, Brady, because Indeed. this is important to the plot. All right. All right. Stop interrupting <laughs> me. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mean. <laughs> okay. And so then Gusto points to uh, a garbage boy who we've just met in the scene before. A guy named Linguini, a gangly, uh, probably 18-ish. Redheaded kid whose mother was who's Rob who yeah who's Rob <laughs> and his mother was an old lover of Gusto's Rob is beaming for those of you who can't see and so the uh, the new head chef Skinner the short chef Skinner who's one of our bad guys played in a delicious voice turn by uh, Ian Holm uh, you know as Bilbo Baggins in the mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings movies uh, and so. Ian Holm is like, no, don't, we're not going to make him a cook. And then they're like, well, we already hired him as a garbage boy. It's like, okay, fine. He's <laughs> a garbage boy, whatever. And so then when Gusto points him out, Remy's like, well, he's just like a garbage boy. He's like, no, he's important. He's part of the, the process of the kitchen. He's like, yeah, sure. But like, he's, he's not supposed to cook. He's like, well, he's doing it now. <laughs> and he sees that uh, Linguini has knocked over a soup. And is trying to cover his tracks by remaking the soup. And Remy's like, no, he's ruining it. He's ruining everything. So he falls into the kitchen. We have another big set piece of Remy uh, escaping danger and almost being cooked in the kitchen. And then when he's uh, finally about to escape, he's like, wait, no, I need to I need to fix this. Like, this is my chance. I can fix the soup. And so he starts throwing ingredients in to fix it. At that point, Linguini catches Remy traps him to try to cover him because he's afraid he'll be fired and then the uh, soup goes out and uh, Skinner is worried that Linguini has fucked up the soup and fires him right then and there but it turns out the soup is delicious and there's a food critic in the audience who's there to taste it so now Linguini kind of has to stay around the restaurant because he's made something brilliant and especially in a restaurant that's actually flagging now that's uh, reputation is in the toilet and so 
Skinner's kind of pressured into letting Linguini stay. But then at that point, we see that the rat's there, and Skinner sees the rat, and they all try to kill him. So Skinner says, go kill the rat. Um, and so Linguini takes him to the Seine River uh, in a little jar, and he's going to throw him into his watery doom. Didn't poke holes in the lid, by the way. He didn't poke holes in the lid because he's going to kill him. Uh, oh, well, yeah, no, he's just going to asphyxiate to death, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just I just feel like he should have died in that time, but anyway. No. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> I used to put uh, fireflies in a jar, and if you didn't poke holes in the lid, they'd die rather quickly. Anyway. Small detail. Yeah. Uh, so anyway. He didn't die. <laughs> Linguini doesn't have the heart to go through with it. Good. Ling- uh, Linguini doesn't have the heart to go through with it. And he, <laughs> he starts talking to the rat, and then he notices the rat is nodding back at him. So uh, in this universe, the rat can't talk uh, to humans, but he can communicate through pantomime which is a big thing in this he movie. He understands. Um, he's a cartoon character. They're all pantomime. And so but the, you, you're led to believe that the other rats can't understand English. Right, right, right. And right. he right. can understand, yeah. English and read and, and blah, read. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. like smart. So he, can, he can't he can speak. He's a rat, but he can emote and... Emote! Yeah. And uh, what, yeah, what quickly becomes clear is Linguini's on the hook because he's going to be asked to recreate a soup that he did not make. Mm-hmm. And that Remy is the only one who knows how to make it. So a partnership must happen. And so Linguini says, okay, I'm going to let you out, but like we have to be a team. And Remy immediately runs off, uh, which is something I like about this character. I, I think a lot of critics pointed this out when it first came out, that he's kind of prickly. Like This, mm-hmm. this isn't just a cuddly character. This is a portrait of the artist as a mm-hmm. dick, because that's something we kind of expect of our artists sometimes, is to be self-regarding and egocentric. No wonder I'm not an artist. Yeah, so wrapped up in their own craft that it's part of what makes them good, but... Uh, you know, there's some vulnerability and some fallibility there. Either that or you can just apologize way too much. Yeah. And be egocentric in that way. Then you can still be an artist. Just, yeah, constantly. <laughs> um, also, clearly not willing to make friends. Man, if apologizing makes you an artist, I'm Picasso. That's all I do is apologize. Is that what Picasso does? No, Picasso's an artist, but... If apologizing makes you an artist, then I, who apologize, I was just trying to find a reason for my girlfriend to still be an artist without being an asshole because she apologizes constantly. Picasso is an artist. If apologizing, my girlfriend's not an asshole, but she's an artist. So, so apologizing constantly would would must qualify as well. Madeline Kobe never got called an asshole. <laughs> I'm sorry that that modern lovers reference uh in the case that that's too obscure for whoever's listening. Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers, I don't think that's obscure. Yeah, no, it's not that obscure. Beef up, learn some music, you dunderheads. All right. So, then uh it's kind of a touching scene though because then eventually Remy does come back. But it's this moment of like, well, I could leave you in the lurch, uh but eventually chooses not to. And so Linguini brings him home to his tiny little apartment. Uh, and there's a funny scene of him trying to get the bike in because physical comedy is a huge part of this movie. And he's like, well, yeah, stay. What's mine is yours. In the morning, Linguini wakes up, though, and Remy's, he can't find Remy. He's like, shit, I let this rat in my house. He's stolen all of my food. And he's berating him just 
long enough to see that Remy's still there and has actually made him a lovely omelet and has made himself a tiny rat-sized omelet. <laughs> I know, that's so cute! Um, but he has stolen herbs from a neighboring garden, and Linguini says, oh, don't do that. Like, I'll buy spices if you need them. Like, we need He's to... He's an urban forager. We need to be uh, good people in making our... Art. And so then what happens, though, is they have to rush off to work so fast that Remy doesn't get to eat. And so they get to work, and Linguini's like, how are we going to do this? He's like, well, I could put you here, here. And then he kind of, like, opens up his pants, which is a really funny moment to me. Because you just see Remy's face is the most, like, depressed, despondent <laughs> face. He makes, like, a pit face. He's like, no. <laughs> Not the pants. Not the pants. And so they end up going in there with Remy inside of Linguini's shirt, and it doesn't work because... He just bites it. Yeah, he's like actually trying to like go to his hand and be like, bite, don't do that. Okay, do that, bite. And so he ends up, Linguini runs off to the uh, the pantry, and he's like, rat, I can't do this. I can't have you running up and down my body like this. We need to develop a system. <laughs> and uh, rat here... feet. That would be so unpleasant. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I love Linguini's reaction when he sees the bite so much. <laughs> Gah! Gah! <laughs> uh, Let uh, me do it. <laughs> but then uh, Linguini, so Linguini realizes that he's made a mistake too because he didn't let Remy eat. So Remy's cranky and isn't thinking clearly. He's He's hangry, so he gives him a little wedge of cheese, and he's like, all right, let's work this out. And uh, here is the first time uh, one of the film's other motifs gets introduced, which is Skinner seeing the rat just in time for Linguini to like <laughs> hide the rat and make Skinner <laughs> think he's crazy, um, which, which Ian Holm reacts to with a wonderful... That's your favorite line in any movie ever. Oh, it's ever. so good. Because <laughs> so this, this movie owes such a debt to, like, 1930s screwball stuff. Just, yeah. like, the bad guy, like... Uh, you know, so, uh, there's nothing funnier than a proud person having their pride taken from them. Yep. Uh, and and uh, sad. In that moment, he <laughs> says one of my favorite lines. He's like, get out of the pantry. He's like, you can become too familiar with vegetables, you know? What? <laughs> oh, Pixar, can I go walk over there and make them answer for what that means? <laughs> you have to bring vegetables with you. <laughs> bring them over. Does anyone want to get familiar with my vegetables? What did that mean? <laughs> so, uh, this is a surprisingly dense movie. Um, so, uh, in that moment as he's leaving the pantry, he almost collides with one of the waiters, but Remy pulls on his hair and he produces like a... A very wild Buster Keaton y stunt where he literally like whirls his body ninety degrees to the ground and uh escapes uh, knocking over the trays and he's just like okay, what just happened? And so they go in the bathroom and see that Remy can pull Linguini's hair. I don't know why my gesticulating is gonna help uh, in this case, but I am gesticulating. Brady is currently grabbing his penis violently. And he <laughs> <laughs> Brady, we don't take your pants off in the garage. Stop becoming I, so I familiar with your vegetable. Doing. This is amazing. If I if I grab my penis, <laughs> it controls my penis. It's wild. <laughs> and so, uh, but they realize that uh, in a, it, it's a little bit of magical realism that this movie allows to exist, which is that Remy can control Linguini by his hair. And so we get a nice, funny montage of uh, them training, becoming better at uh, kind of having this dynamic. 
And so Linguini is able to produce the soup, which is like his first challenge is to be able to do this. Duplicate. <laughs> Welcome to hell. Now, make the soup. Um, so uh, from there, the chef is like, but you're going to need to learn to cook other stuff. I'm going to pair you up with Colette, the one uh, female chef in the kitchen, uh, voiced by Janine Garofalo. Doing a silly French accent, which is actually kind of amazing. <laughs> this movie's filled with like people who aren't known for doing that, but actually doing a good job. Like Brad it's Garrett from true. How uh, from Everybody Loves Raymond is Gusteau. It's just like, yeah. that's a random bit of casting. But that's what Pixar excels at, is random casting that works. I agree. She really like I would never know that was Janine Garofalo. No. Like and she does she does it. I mean it's obviously a fake French accent, but it's like not so overdone that you're like are you voicing a poodle? What's going on? And so <laughs> Linguini's trying to pour on the charm at first and then he's, she's like no, fuck you. This is like an old boys club of an industry. Like I'm the only one here. Do you realize that like oh, I wonder why that happened. It's like, because I'm, like, actually good at Because you're in Garofalo. Why do you think that is? Yeah, you wear far too many bracelets. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every time she gets, like, a year older, she adds another bracelet. You can tell how old she is by counting the, ring, counting the rings on her arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the ancient Garofalo roots, and you can tell its age by the rings. <laughs> And so, um, so yeah, uh, I, I hope I'm not skipping anything here, but uh, we get, like, she's very curt with him, but we get a nice montage that doesn't, I like it because it's not like it's wildly unexpected, but it goes, like, in an unexpected direction to me, which is, like, normally this montage would just be her, like, kicking his ass and it would be for laughing at it, but it, there actually is, like, an, a complete arc in this montage, which is where, like, she's kind of becoming fond of him and, like, taking him under her wing and so she's actually teaching him tricks of the trade. And with each bit of lesson extolled, uh, her demeanor toward him becomes a little warmer. And so she kind of takes him into this community of, of artists. And one of my favorite things she says is, like, people think cooking is snooty, but, like, really it's like we're kind of all crazy. And so you learn, like, little bits about things like the... Here he goes. The sous chef. <laughs> Spoken like a true Janine Garofalo. Yeah, the sous chef. <laughs> we're all uh, crazy, aren't we? I'm crazy. <laughs> The sous chef, uh, voiced by Will Arnett, who did Batman and the Lego Movie. Kind of does like a little bit of a Forrest Gumpy writing thing where it just talks about each of the characters. (laughs) It's hilarious. (laughs) Um, I killed a man with this thumb. Uh, So, yeah, it's like she tells him, like, yeah, you're entering this community of pirates. It is how she describes them. Like, we're not just cooks. we're, We're rebels. We're pirates. Like, we... Yeah, dance to our own drummers. And uh, so, yeah, eventually this montage ends with them actually being connected. And so then Skinner decides uh, that his... Oh, well, we also learn that there is an issue of a will. (laughs) There is an issue of a will uh, uh, that is going to expire in a month. And Skinner finds a letter that basically lets us know that Linguini is Gusteau's son. And so Skinner now has to try to keep this under wraps, keep this hidden from Linguini until the statute of limitations ex- expires. Uh, so he's talking with his lawyer, and we also see that Skinner is basically bastardizing Gusto's good name by letting him become this kind of almost Paul Newman-y, like, uh, frozen Race food car driver. Huckster. Just like, yeah, like... Oh, wait. wait. Gusto's, like... Race car driver? Gusto's, 
Paul Chinese Newman. pockets and stuff like that. He's turning him into PF. Yeah, chains. he's turning him into a big corporate logo. Oh, uh, okay. for yeah. cheap, just cheap whatever. I was food. just thinking Paul Newman, race car driver. No, why no. would what? Because he was a professional race car driver. He, but he was also a salad dressing face. Oh well, yeah, I guess he did that too. Uh, which is that's what I mean. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, Skinner's nervous about that, and so S- Skinner tries to throw Linguini a curveball by having, uh, <laughs> by essentially having Linguini cook a dish that was a failure even when Gusteau did it. So he's like, well, this genius couldn't even make it work. I'll give this to him. He'll trip over it. That'll be the end of it. And so he gives him this thing called sweetbread a la Gusteau. And uh, what happens is Remy uh, tries to change the recipe, but there's a conflict because Colette is like, no, no, like I've been telling you, follow the recipe. Like, what are you doing? And it's an extremely funny physical scene where Linguini's basically just being led around and like his arms are grabbing at <laughs> spices and grabbing he, around and people. And by the way, he he like kind of his allegiances are now more with this woman because during that touching montage during which she warmed up to him, he's also developed feelings for her and doesn't want to disappoint her, but the rat has control of him by his hair. Yes. Yes, by the short and curlies. And yes, so indeed. I didn't want to say it, so but I knew somebody would. <laughs> basically, what happens is uh, the rat switches the sauce because uh, it's supposed to be like a licorice sauce, and he switches it to like a truffle sauce, I think, at the last minute while it's going out the door. And so the food actually ends up being good, and uh, Remy wins again. It's good. But at the expense of, of Colette, who was this mentor figure, so he had to kind of go against her will to do it. And so what happens is then Skinner decides, like, all right, like, I'm going to bring Linguini into my office under the guise of celebrating his latest success, but tries to grill him by getting him drunk about, like, oh, do you, what about rats? Like, have you had any pets? You know, dogs, pigs, guinea pigs, gophers, rats. <laughs> um, and, and it doesn't go well. And in the meantime, Remy reunites with Emil and is taken back to the colony. Um, oh, but we also get this really cool scene where they visualize taste, where uh, Remy's trying oh, yeah, to teach Yeah, there's a bit of that all over. It's like a Winamp visualizer, basically, yeah, I, I but I just really on the like side that. of the screen. I, I love that. I love that about the the, 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 the way of explaining that. Yeah, just can, explaining can the way like different flavors. Explode into different, uh, you know. Different uh, together moments. than apart. Uh, and so then we get the scene... Uh, Probably my least favorite scene in the movie, though by no means a bad scene, where like Remy's father takes him to see like some dead rats and to remind him that the human world is a hostile world that uh, he may think he's an artist, but the human world still uh, views him as vermin, essentially. Um, And so, yeah, that happens. And also, uh, after their meeting, Skinner basically makes Linguini clean all of the dishes, uh, which are so many that... Linguini is completely passed out and unable to function the next day. And so Remy comes in and is like, oh, shoot, man, you got to get up. You got to get up, uh, which leads to a very funny scene where he I think he's also hung over, by the way. Yeah, no, he's oh, yeah. hung over. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to get you drunk. Now clean dishes. Fuck. He's like, like wearing sunglasses. Like, what is this? Don't tell me he's not hung over. <laughs> All right, so this... And this leads to a funny scene where Remy has to put sunglasses on his face, uh, which has some of my favorite, like, snotty hipster body language ever. <laughs> where, like, huh? Col- Colette is like, 
oh, you had a good thing with the chef. And uh, Linguini just basically nods his head to the side. He's like, eh. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> and then he goes, wow. Whoop, 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 whoop. So Colette gets mad at him, and uh, Linguini runs out, and basically as he's doing so, he's telling Remy, like, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm blowing the top off this. And so Remy uh, has no choice but to make Linguini kiss Colette to try to avoid the other outcome, which is Colette finding out that he's controlled by a tiny rat. <laughs> and, and so that happens. And he wakes up. Yeah, and that happens. And okay, That'll what wake you up. Uh, also, uh, kissing Janine Garofalo will wake you up. Remy then, uh, at the same time, is going through issues that his family wants him to steal food for them. He discovers Skinner's will right as Skinner walks into him. Another awesome chase scene where Remy gets away with the documents to prove that Skinner or that Linguini is the real owner. Skinner goes out on his ass, uh, and that should be it, right? Our bad guy's taken out, but uh, the film Ego. finally plays its other hand. Uh, Anton Ego, who says one of my favorite lines about criticism ever. It's like, this entire time you've been playing without a partner, which, as you know, is against the rules. Do, re, Ego. <laughs> and so Ego's like, well, you, you haven't had the last word yet. Like, I still need to review you. Like, I'm the biggest critic. Like, You've got to go through me, so I'm going to come, and you better make something for me. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Are you pausing it? No, just dropping a marker. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to come, and you better make something for me. <laughs> and so uh, at this same time, uh, Remy's feeling kind of neglected because Linguini's spending all of his time with Colette, and Remy, you know, is a bit of an egoist, so he wants his contribution acknowledged, even though obviously the only reason it works is that he's under the hat. Uh, and so they end up kind of having a fight, and as a result, Remy lets his family plunder the kitchen, which means that Linguini kicks Remy out. And so it looks like there's going to be a problem because Ego's coming, and the genius chef actually isn't there to uh, make things right. And... Uh, so then also Remy gets captured by Skinner, but then he gets freed by his family. And so he shows up to the kitchen just as they're about to have to serve Ego the food. And <coughs> and Linguini gives a big touching speech, letting people know, like, okay, it's not me that's been cooking. It's been the rat. Uh, and I, I really like that line he says. We're just like, look, this works. Like, that's all that should matter in art is this works. It doesn't matter that it's crazy or weird, like, um, but it's not a good enough speech. They all walk out on him, including Colette, and so Linguini basically admits defeat at that point, too, but Remy's family shows up to help him cook the dishes, then Colette shows back up, and then Linguini's like, I can help serve the tables on roller skates. We get an awesome scene of rats cooking um, with beautiful music by Michael Giacchino. Should have won that year. What fucking won that year? Atonement. Bah. Good score, but come on, Giacchino. Anyway, so <laughs> then uh, Colette's like, all right. She comes back. She's like, just tell me what the rat wants to cook. He's like, well, ratatouille. She's like, are you kidding? That's like, you know, that's like a peasant dish. That would be like us serving 
a high-functioning critic like mac and cheese, probably. Maybe a little fancier, but it's uh, not known as a hoity-toity dish. Brady made ratatouille when we watched the movie. I did, I did. It was good. (laughs) Thank you. And so here sits this hoity-toity critic. You're going to serve him a peasant thing, but the rat's like, trust me, just trust me. And so they serve him the food, and Skinner's also there in the audience hoping to witness a failure. And uh, so Ego tries the ratatouille, and all of a sudden he drops his pen and he flashes back to an afternoon in his boyhood when he had uh, a spill on his bike, evidently, like hurt himself riding his bicycle, showed up crying, and his mother sat him down at the kitchen table and just made him some nice, warming, comforting ratatouille. And uh, this breaks through Ego's uh, cold, seemingly impermeable intellectual barrier. I'm cry. And he, <laughs> he loves it. Eh. And Skinner is mad because even he realizes it's delicious. And he's like, who made the ratatouille? And the rats pound on him and tie him up. And so Ego, at the end of the meal, is like, well, I'd like to compliment the chef. And Colette's like, you can only do that if you wait till everyone's gone from the restaurant. Yeah. And he says, very well, I'll wait. (laughs) You're so good at that. (laughs) And so he waits, and then they bring out the rat. And this is all told in voiceover by Remy. And he talks about Ego kind of doesn't say anything. He just listens to the story. He goes in the kitchen and watches how they do what they do. And then doesn't say anything except thank you for the meal and leaves. And then we get maybe my favorite scene in the movie, this beautiful soliloquy delivered by Peter O'Toole uh, about the role of the critic in, in art and you in society. Would. Oh, it's, it's a beautifully written scene. Um, and, and the gist of it is that Ego is admitting his smallness. And this is, I love this. Uh, in an earlier scene when we first meet Ego, uh, you know, at least in modern times, we see this skeleton typewriter and it's very foreboding. And in this shot, as Ego's just standing in his office thinking about what to write, we see the typewriter, and it's just this little small object. It's not, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It's just this little thing. It's like a Wizard of Oz moment of pulling back the curtain and seeing, like, the big fearful thing is, isn't anything to fear. He's just, he's just a critic, one critic. Um, and, he, and he admits in that moment that, you know, even, like, the biggest piece of crap, even a Michael Bay Transformers probably in the grand scheme of things, amounts to more than the piece of criticism calling it crap. Uh, so, like, you know, art is the big thing to keep in mind, not criticism, maybe. Uh, but the role of the critic where they do have power is to help new things to take hold, to, you know, cause a sea change, to cause changes in perspective in art. And so uh, he gives the restaurant a very good review. Uh but Skinner and the health inspector, who was also tied up, uh, they have to let them go. So they rat out on the restaurant, and the restaurant gets closed down. But then Ego and Linguini and Remy and Colette start their own new restaurant called La Ratatouille, and it's a smashing success. And much more homey. And much more homey. And uh, has a really cute sign. And so the last line of the movie is uh, Ego finishing a delicious meal. Because uh, he's now an investor in the restaurant. He's like, well, what do you have for dessert? And he looks to Remy and he says, surprise me. And uh, and that's the end, basically. And, and we then yeah. the question is, hey, 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 how do we like it? So, Tess, how did you like this movie? 
Oh, I love this movie. This is probably like the fifth time that I've seen it. Um, yeah, even like, I, and I remember seeing it um, in the theaters when it came out with my mom and we were just freaking out about how delicious all of the food looked, even mm. though it was all CG. <laughs> so great CG food in this movie. Endlessly enjoyable. Um. Am I supposed to say anything else like other than food. how I liked it? Letter grade? <laughs> Letter grade. Oh, this is an easy A. Probably an A+. Plus. Brady. Yeah, no, I, I love this movie. Uh, it's an A+, plus for me as well. Uh, it's, you know, because I think it's easily, for me, Pixar's most, like, intellectually ambitious mm-hmm. in terms of just, like, it's it's a beautiful doozy of a script uh, that has like a lot to say which I'll, I'll get into in our next segment uh, but on top of that like it never actually slows down so like it manages to mix in some really heady intellectual commentary with just being fun probably their funniest movie I'd have to say like I might yeah have to go to bat and call it their funniest movie uh, and it's beautiful it's might be their best looking in a lot of ways the animation at that point had hit a real apex, which would mm-hmm. serve them well when they did Wally. I think uh, one year later, uh, which is my best picture. Different, totally different kind of story too. But, That's uh, what's yeah, funny. no, it's it's like it's gorgeous, and I I usually try to stay away from Leonard Maltonisms, but or <laughs> no, not Maltonisms, but more Gene Shalitisms. Shal- but <laughs> Shalit. But seriously, yeah, shallots are uh, food ingredient. Yeah, they are. <laughs> But well, there you go. Well, go well, for it. That's fitting because Gene Shalit is known for fucking puns. And his <laughs> reviews, and he's not a good reviewer. But like, <laughs> but in good. this case, I feel totally like the right thing to call this movie is just delicious. Like it's it's satisfying <laughs> it's in a substantive manner. But beyond that, it's it's funny and has a ton of emotion in it, and is just gorgeous and has all that food. It's just yeah, it's a delicious, sumptuous movie that can be taken in a lot of different ways. It's an A+. Plus. I, I rather like this movie. It was... Oh, this is Rob. Uh, I rather like this movie. It was good. I really liked the character development at the beginning. Uh, I feel like I had several endings. Uh, not that that was bad, but uh, I like the eventual ending. Um, the falling action went on a little long. I can give it a B+. Plus. B+. Plus. Wow. It's a high grade for me. Watch it a couple more times and you might change your I mind. I watched it again today. <laughs> when I was at the works. It's so solid. Um, Nora, don't listen. Don't tell your mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> Such a solid film. And very, like, the only part of the script that I have a complaint with is the in the very beginning when um, you are first introduced to Remy in like that freeze frame on the book and he goes this is me like and that just seems like so cliche to me but it's the only part of the movie that I'm like the rest of the script is just so solid and so smooth I think yeah, I agree. So. I, I really love just that like opening. That opening is like so intellectually rigorous where just before you go to Remy or anything or the title, you just have like ego saying those words just like, no, I take cooking seriously and I don't think anyone can do it. Okay, yeah, so this, that's this, the concept. The set piece where he goes through the um the uh the sewer on a book. Uh 
Does that remind anybody else of DuckTales? Yes. The one where they get shrunk down and they're in the match, the match <laughs> yeah. carton. What a weird thing to compare it to, but yeah. But yeah, no, it's very much the same set piece. They're going through the thing and then like, I mean, they had they had matches and they just kept striking the matches and using them yeah. as torches. A duck tails. <laughs> yes. Um, so that's my only like clunky writing complaint there is that like that just seems so clear like the freeze frame and the like this is me and I really need to reevaluate my life choices and then like it's just like then from there it gets so much better and (laughs) but yeah the opening which I had almost forgotten that that was the opening because like that so sticks in my mind is the opening is just that freeze frame of him on the book that happens somewhat in the future from where you eventually it's very late 80s I think a lot of late 80s movies did that, just like... Oh, it's so silly, and like I just almost want to like be like, meh. But no, it do- I mean, it doesn't hurt the thing, but it like does kind of annoy me. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I but anything that's going to be like that uh, voiceover heavy, which in this case works really well, like, you know, I guess you're bound to have some stuff like that. I, I feel like it's kind of like Pixar going like, there's stuff moving around, look at it, it's Pixar. Uh, freeze. <laughs> I don't know if I would go that now, far. Now it's we're, just a storytelling technique. Well, no, now we're kind of messing with you and baiting your anticipation of seeing beautiful, beautiful Pixar graphics. <laughs> we're making you lie and wait for a little bit while we give you a little voiceover. You know, it's a... Uh, yeah, but the stuff in that voiceover is beautiful. Like, that's where we get that really interesting, fun depiction of the rat in silhouette. Like, the yeah. total image of the sinister rat is how we first see one. Yeah, no, it's a good way of sublimating your expectation of, of Pixar just being, like, a constantly beautiful thing. Like, let me expound upon you some information. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, delay it's your gratification it's for a moment. Shot, like, yeah, delay your gratification for a moment in the, in the fast-paced graphics. Like and now we're just going to show you something... Uh, you know, story-driven and plot-driven yeah. and, and like, eloquent. But even in that very scene where that leads to the freeze frame, like, the colors of, like, rural France, like, a rainy mm-hmm. rural France day, like, with the oranges and, like, the muted yeah. colors are just, like, such gorgeous painterly work on this thing. And you've got a class act, like, genius director uh, in Brad Bird, like, really yeah. big, big things, like, who not only knows, like, a good story, did the Iron Giant... Uh, did the Incredibles like huge talent, but also knows about shot selection. Like this is, uh, I think, you know, maybe other than Wally, like a Pixar movie that really carefully thinks about its shots. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. But yeah, um, I was gonna say something. Um, say it. Was. Ribbit. I'm a slutty frog. I hope this gets edited out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever gets edited out. You're well, going to edit it, so you're going to edit this out. Should we go to Critics Corner then, I guess? Sure. Yeah, I'll do a two-minute little... What, do I get an intro? How, how does this work? We're just starting. We haven't recorded an intro for this yet. Okay. Hi, this is Brady Larson here with Critics Corner. Critics Corner. Being that I am verbose and being that I tend to drag on, we thought the best thing for me would be to introduce a segment where I tell you about a movie I saw this week and only have two minutes in which to do it. This week, uh, as part of my project in which I'm going through the years, I had just finished the year 1976, a year with many fruits, but one which was sort of disappointing. But uh, it did have a, a great bit of work by the prolific Rainer Werner Fassbinder from Germany. A young man who died, I think, in his early 30s of a, a drug overdose, 
but in that time in his short period on this earth made I think 42 films a uh, really great director and so he made this movie in which he was actually the star too about a gay carnival worker called Fox and his friends at the start the carnival worker is fired from his job because the carnival gets shut down but at the same time he wins a lottery and uh, ends up at the same time picking up because uh, he kind of whores himself out to make a little money picks up a rich trick uh, a rich man and in the process ends up falling into a circle of rich gay men this is a very interesting movie because it says a lot about kind of consumerism and classism and it's about fox kind of little by little being deprived of his money as he starts an affair or not an affair but an actual relationship with a rich well-to-do gay man so it's about the difference in class between them but as he spends the relationship with him, he keeps spending more and more of his money, slowly losing it. And so it's not only a good film about class and a very interesting film about the dynamics of a gay relationship, but one of the more enlightening movies I found about the end of a relationship uh, ever. And I think it would be a good companion piece to last year's Blue is the Warmest Color because it's about sort of this relationship slowly hitting snag over snag until it eventually ends with Fox being deprived of his money and the relationship ending. And it's about how we dream of this brass ring in a world that's richer and has more privileges than we're used to, and this sad story about a man who was never acclimated for it falling out of it. I recommend this movie highly. Go check it out. That was Critics Corner. Wonderful. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Critics Corner. So did you guys want to talk about uh, some more uh, little it's points it. about the film? Or what's it all about? Oh yeah, what? Yeah, that's the segment. I think Brady should start with what's it all about. Segment we do that in. What's it? What's it all about? I think Brady had some thoughts on this. Yeah, he definitely point. does. What's it all about? What's it all about? What's it all about? And the reason that this movie is such a masterwork for me, number two Pixar. Ooh, masterwork! I like that. That it's literally, uh, broadly, it's about art. Uh, what makes it a great movie is that it's about literally every facet of art. It even finds time, as I said, to be kind of a love letter to uh, older movies, older kind of slapstick comedy. Uh, and it's really just about, I mean, the questions it asks, it asks this question, uh, which, you know, some people find controversial. And Bird kind of broached this with The Incredibles. Like, are there some people who aren't as innately gifted, who are never meant to, uh, you know, are we all not necessarily equal that some of us have great minds and are meant to do great things while others are just meant to facilitate this so it broaches that it broaches the idea that art should be something personal it talks about the role of art and the critic uh, with the stuff with ego and uh, or not ego with gusto and kind of the commercialization of him having the frozen food line it broaches populism so it's about art as something sandwiched both between crass populism and intellectualism that maybe would become so pronounced that it ceases to value art as it should and it in the end reaches that moving conclusion that even if you are an intellectual uh, the critic even as uh, rigorous as he might be should always be open to the heart of it that it should be something that connects with you personally and so it, it's about what makes art valuable who should partake in the process of art it's a salute to the fact that many different kinds of people can be a part of the process that mm -hmm. art is a kind of a team sport in a lot of ways and it's a it's a big love letter to food uh yeah so it's it's about really about the entire artistic process from top to bottom yeah there's that and it, i also got this idea that like sorry Tess, to cut you off i don't oh, have very ahead. much to say go so ahead. you can 
ra- wrap it up. I'm just going to put in my uh, couple cents here. Um, so, I mean, like, I like the idea that the thing that makes, um, shit, where's my notes? Oh, they're gone. What's the name of the main character? Who's played by Patrick? Remy? Remy. The thing that makes Remy, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> more of an artist and everything is that he, that he is, like, more human. He reads... Like, he wants to stand apart from the hordes of rats that we see collapsing from the ceiling in the beginning. You know, like, the things that my dad and the rest of the, you know, just fucking sheep who are rats, who are sheep, who are just eat bullshit and chew it down, don't know, could fill a book. And that's why I read. That's why I expose myself to all these various different things. Because, like, I um I want to be influenced and I want to be turned around. I don't want to stick my hands in the dirt and be, like, a, a filthy animal. I want to not have to watch my paws in between each thing I touch. And, you know, just the idea of becoming more human is to become more um, artistic and more creative as opposed to, you know, just falling back into. Um, so, so they kind of use, like, the anthropomorphism. There we go. That's a tough word. Uh, which means, you know, giving human characteristics to an animal as a way of setting Remy apart from... Uh, the other people, and eventually giving uh, Remy an agent uh, of his very own, um, who, you know, it's kind of a blank slate. He's kind of just a goofball, and um, it's really Remy acting through him that makes him a truly whole person. You know, he's got all the agency. He's the, the Remy's the one that gets him to kiss the girl and blah, 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 which, I mean, that's not what this movie's about, but obviously, you know, love interests and stuff yeah. like that is a familiar trope just in film in general. Uh, we seem to need that, I guess. Uh, especially when we're directing our, our stuff at kids. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, just, like, fulfilling all the, um, I would say, pertinent pieces of the storyline is done by making a non-human character more uh, human through anthropomorphism and basically, uh, you know, just trying to set him apart from the herd and the ilk that he comes from. So I think it's about that. Well, um, I want to talk a little bit more about what Brady said. And I think, Brady, you're actually the person that pointed this out to me. um, That a lot of what this movie is partially saying um, is that not just because everybody can cook doesn't mean that everybody should. And this is, like, extremely true in this movie. Like, at the same time that it's going... Well, talent can come from really strange places. It's also saying not everybody can be that kind of artist. And certainly, um, what's the kid's name? Uh, Linguini? Like, Linguini is not a chef. And he, like, royally fucks up at everything that he tries to cook. And he needs, you know, Remy to help him. But... And this is something that Maddie said when she saw it. She goes, he was born to be a waiter. And, like, you see him, like, a bit, like don the roller skates and just be, like, the best, most badass waiter that you've ever seen. And it's, like, kind of not saying that everyone can be an artist, but that everybody is good at something. And I think that's kind of, like, really important to me to take away from this. Because it's not that everybody can cook. Like, maybe maybe Gusto is wrong. But everybody has their place in some form of art. So I think, like, that was kind of a lot of what you were saying. 
but every like just because you know you can't like just because everybody can cook doesn't mean everybody should but everybody can potentially have their place in a kitchen yeah, sounds kind of <laughs> like the lego movie so yeah everything is cool you know and and cool. you know have that you know and we say kitchen but you know i mean like it as an artist studio, so you know it's, it's like it's a, yeah a set. studio and a museum whatever a, a band <laughs> you know however you want to portray this like anybody can have their role in that without being like you know the person that's running the show so yeah absolutely um, Should we go to a game and then come back uh, do more thoughts? Yeah. Okay. I made a critical. Rob's never gonna win. I made a critical. Brady's the victor again. Woo-hoo. So it's time to play. Ooh-hoo. I'm gonna lose today. Made a critical. Yeah, it's time. Hey everybody, 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 and welcome to Metacritical. This week we have, well, there's a bunch of us, so let's just go around and say our names. We have Maddie and Tess and Grandy and Brady and, of course, me, Rob. This is the game where we pick a movie and then we all try to guess the Metacritic score. Uh, Brady, you want to keep score for me? I'll it would be my honor. Right on. Uh, how about a Stephen King book? That I have here. Better than what's inside it. <laughs> Doctor Sleep. Stephen like King's Stephen new King. book, Van. How dare you insult Van? <laughs> wait, wait. He put red rum on the back of Doctor <laughs> Sleep. King. The Gunslinger books are good. Shameless callback. All right. So since we did Ratatouille this week, we're gonna start off on the first one with uh, Wally. I need a pen. Uh, you need a pen. Wally, do, who who goes first? Motherfucker. Maddie pen. Do I go first? Does this pen work? Well, yes, we does. set our names there in There you go. Here's order. a ballpoint pen. Oh, it is ballpoint. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you get these? Hotels. <laughs> Spend a lot of time in hotels, Rob. Yep. <laughs> Don't you know it. That's uh, where I get my pen. Okay. So Wally, uh, I'm gonna play. I'm gonna go first, and we'll just go clockwise from there. So I'm gonna go first, and just go ahead and say, uh, play it safe with a ninety. I'm gonna say ninety-four. What are we doing, Wally? Um, ninety-six. All right, Grandy. What do you think the Metacritic score for Wally is? Ninety-three. Okay, so, I'll go with a ninety-five. All right. Larvae says, "Oops, need to actually pull up Metacritic." Ninety-four. <laughs> Maddie got it. I won. We were Woo. all close. Wait, did you? So our golf did you get it dead on? Good. Yeah. Nice. Good job. I used so my Maddie's at a zero. Well, I don't think any of us are off more than, like, uh, <laughs> I'm off four points. Yeah. I think I'm the m- most off. So, I'm off uh, two points. Brady's off one point. Brady's so, off one point. Yep. So I guess uh, we're going from Wally mm-hmm. to R2-D2. So Star Wars A New Hope. Oh, God. And the reason for that is Bert something who voiced Wally, who came up with 
the sound design for Wally is R2D2. That's mm. episode five? Yeah. Yes. Episode no. five, first movie. Four. Four. Four, first four. movie. Sorry, yeah. It's true. I always get confused with my Roman numerals. Oh. The one with Am I first on that one? Uh, no, I'm I'm first. Okay. We'll just go from me and yeah. clockwise. I'm going to go ahead and say... It's a good question. Um, I think it was highly rated at the time, and it was highly, highly rated over time, but I don't think that'll garner it more than an 88. I'm going to say 91. I'm going to say 79. <laughs> 70? Oh, wait. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Grandy, what do you think Star Wars A New Hope, episode four, first movie? For Metacritic? Yes. Eighty-six. Gotta remember, not mm, let's type it in because it predicts. Let's see, let's see. I'm gonna go with the ninety-two. Does it put the last person to go at an advantage in any way? The answer I mean, is yeah. ninety-one. Dang! Damn. I'm killing it. Two bullseyes in a row, dude. The fuck is that shit? I think it's the tea I drank. It enhanced my psychic powers. Wow. Yeah, what kind okay. of tea is that? Drink up that beer then. Sage and <laughs> lavender. And marijuana. No, just <laughs> sage and lavender. And mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> just sage and lavender. I'm boring. Huh. I'm, I'm pretty stoked on the way this audio is turning out. This will probably be my best metacritical mix with this many people. At any rate, uh, so the Brady good on keeping score. Oh, very good. All right, the third one, uh, much like a Star Wars film, uh, the Fifth Element, which was basically you know, it's it's kind of Star Wars. I mean, it's basically right? Star Wars is critically equal. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, for the nineties. Yeah, I'll go with that. I'm gonna go with Fifth Elements. I, I think eighty-eight's a, a pretty hopeful, hopeful guess as well here. I'm gonna say eighty-four. We should rewatch that movie. It's been all too long. I love that movie. We'll have to do it on a podcast. <gasps> yeah. Hey, everybody, oh my tweet God. us. Tweet us at C A R N Y Couch if you want us to do Fifth Element. I'm so down, and that would make a so really good. good we get life. so few tweets, so you'll probably have an influence. Scenes from that would make a really good um, uh, massacre theater, not. Oh, the <laughs> understudy. Yes. <laughs> understudy. Um, yeah. But, okay, yes, because so, Understudy's kind of sort of based on Massacre Theater, which is from uh, Film Spotting, as well as this game is kind of based on the Rotten Tomatoes game, which is from the Adam Carolla podcast, as well as, uh, uh, let me see, what, what's the other game we play? Plotlines, which is based on totally topical TiVo trivia from the Adam Carolla podcast, to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. I'm going anyway. say 84, because 1, 2, 3, 4 stones... And the fifth element is love. is probably too high. Oh, but. shit. Oh, yeah. Spoiler full podcast. I said that at the top. I'll give it a 93. Right. Okay. <laughs> I think, uh, honestly, I think you guys are all too high. And I wish I was that high. But I'm going to go with a 67. Oh, wow. I wish you were as high as Yeah, Maddie. son of a bitch. It's a 52. Oh, no. Oh, smokes. There Holy goes my lead. 
Yeah, and there is Freddy's League. They are wrong. That movie is so good. I think that puts me in second place. I'm honestly baffled. I almost said 79 again. Yeah, 52? Really? Oh, God. That That movie's great. Yeah, Yeah, who doesn't watch that movie and goes, that's a good movie. What the fuck? That's some bullshit. Gary Oldman. It's goofy, but in, like, the way you want it to be goofy. Come on! In the way that, yeah, in the way that that Gary Oldman bleeds chocolate out of a plastic head cap. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Stop trying to be Frank Zappa, Tess. Huh? Stop trying to be Frank Zappa with what you just said. (laughs) Gary Oldman bleeds chocolate out of a plastic cap. I guess that's more like Captain Beefheart. It's just the kind of thing you'll see hanging out in Joe's garage. If I say anything Somebody that hit sounds the garage like door that, button. it's because I'm doing like a wizard people deer eater. And then Gary Oldman bleeds chocolate syrup out of a plastic cap and curses God. Joe Pesci forgot to tip the lunch lady in frogs. <laughs> Brown What's shoes, next? I don't make it. I quit school. Nobody don't wants to hear it. us fucking around, guys. All right. Get your I heads together. I, I really want to hear Brady keep doing Captain Beefheart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the the remake from uh, 2012. This was nominated for stuff, right? 2011. 2011. It was a, a shitty year all around, but I hear that's a really great movie. All right, I'm going to go with a, a 72. Because newer movies get lower scores. 64. 80. What is this movie? I've heard the name, but I don't have a clue about it. I will give you the details. It's a, a spy movie, a British spy movie. Set in MI6. What year was it made? 2011, and it's the director of Let the Right One In. And it's set in the 70s, right? Yeah. Who's a yeah. Swedish guy. And it's got Gary Oldman and Benedict Cumberbatch in it. Yes. I'll give it a 68. Okay. I think I'm giving it an 87. All right. Eighty-five is the Whoa. answer. Eighty-five. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's pretty good for a new movie. Yeah. Oh wait, let me make sure this is yeah, this is twenty eleven. Okay. My psychic powers wore off. Dang. Alright, so this is the uh the last Should've one. Hey Brady, you care to read us you care to do some math and, and read us uh <laughs> some status here? Oh, you want me to do the status now? Yeah, yeah, why not? Because uh then oh, I'll suspense. announce the last movie and then, then then we'll see who can make up what. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so people know, like, what they have to gamble with. And right, all exactly, all right. exactly. Give me a matter of moment. Okay, and in the meantime, we'll talk about we're, we're doing Thor 2. Is it just called Thor 2? Uh, isn't it, like, The Dark World or something? Yeah, I, I think it's it. The Dark World. Or... I haven't seen it okay. yet. And, and like you're picking it. it just because it's got <laughs> Tom Hiddleston in it? Yeah, and I was just thinking about Benedict Good. Cumberbatch, and then I thought about Tom Hiddleston. Right. Because they... Our brothers. No. 
just because because they're, they're skinny guys that she finds attractive. <laughs> they're British guys that the internet loves. Just I don't British know. skinny guys. They both appear five thousand times. The only reason my girlfriend doesn't love me as much as them is because I'm not British. No. Which character is Middleton in Thor two? He's Loki. Oh, cool. All right. Okay, I, I will read scores off. Uh, Rob, you have a negative fifty-nine. Maddie has a negative fifty-one. Oh no, that's Tess. Tess you can has disperse a with the negatives. It's always just what you're off. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> negative. <laughs> you don't have to make it. Ne- Actually, why don't you read some of them as positive and some of them as negative, just to make people feel <laughs> because bad? Because it's the absolute value that matters in this game. All right, Rob is absolutely fifty-nine. Uh, Tess fifty-one. Maddie fifty-three. Grandy, 64. I am 19. Dude! Way to come from behind. So what am I, like, number so the guy two? You are number uh, four. Oh. Well, I like that number, so. <laughs> it's my favorite number, four. Tess is in this. second. I haven't All right. either. Uh, like I'm going to go for a bullseye here at 57. I'm going to see... <laughs> 62. 60. 75. I think I'm going... I'm going 55. Alright. Let's see what it is. 38. Holy shit! Oh, wait, no, sorry. That's the uh, Thor Gods of Thunder video game. (laughs) I wasn't that surprised. (laughs) That's a low score. 38. That's really bad. 54. (laughs) Okay. So I was off by three, and Brady also guessed similarly to me. Brady is the victor again. Ah. That sounds like a good line for a song. Yeah, sounds like the line in the song that's about to be played right. A Metacritical. Fuck you. That was a fun game. Let's talk a little bit more about stuff like maybe Janine Garoppolo's character. Janine, Janine. You were in love with Ben Stiller, now you're not. So you're batshit um, crazy. <laughs> um, so, well, I wasn't prepared for that, but um, I did want to talk a little bit about Janine Garofalo's character. What was her name? Colette. 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 Um, Very so, close to Coquette. You know, Brady was talking uh, in the synopses about the... Um, uh, montage in which they sort of start to build a relationship and uh, pointed out that he felt that like oh it could have just been her being mean to him and I wanted to interject what was going on a ways um, that this is clearly meant to be like the love interest storyline so obviously the the natural outcome there would have been for him to you know for her to warm up to him and eventually this becomes like a relationship and you see them like roller skating together and so that doesn't come out of the blue and (laughs) you know just having like a time and like Remy kind of like part of I I think part of the reason that they have like that falling out near the end is because of her and 
Like, was that, am I correct in that? Like, what was that falling out? There was something like that. I mean, the falling out is basically that, you know, Remy, it, the way things are, is doomed to be a silent partner in what's really his achievement. And that, you know, that to me is also a commentary on just the nature of an artist. Like, if you're a genius, but you're forced to labor under secrecy of some kind, like, like many artists wouldn't, wouldn't have the time. Sereno de Bergerac. Yeah, exactly. Many artists <laughs> wouldn't be able to keep their tongue silent and just humbly. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that's not even necessarily exclusive to Colette. I think it's something that yeah. Remy's going through because he has a high opinion of himself. Yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I think that, that she's a really interesting character. Um, and it obviously had that, like, love interest story plot, but that that monologue that she has in the beginning, like, kind of makes it all sort of okay with me in terms of the way that it, like, plays out, where she's like, why do you think I'm the only female in this room? Like because I'm awesome and I'm good at it and I don't deal with any bullshit from anybody and she kind of is that way so like I don't know I think that like it was script wise it was handled well and um you can accept that that romance plot um as not being totally gimmicky because she like very clearly has a personality (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, in fact, like I think it's actually another thematically rich arrow in the movie's quiver. Is another thing the movie has going on is obviously the idea that though art is supposed to be this creative process, there are strictures and old, stupid, ossified habits that develop in artistic industries that keep outsiders out of it, be they women or mm-hmm. rats that can cook. <laughs> cook. Um, oh, and I did want to talk a little bit about, um, the, uh, oh, what was I going to say? Um, I've forgotten again. Um, something about the script. I don't know. We were talking about the, oh, I was going to say that it's like a really dense, like, um, uh, dialogue driven in a lot of ways. Like you do get a lot of great set pieces as you call them, like where, they're, they they almost look, and I don't know if they were doing 3D then. Like, were they doing 3D movies at that time, really? I don't think so. Um, a little but bit. It, it looks like the kind of thing that you would see in a 3D movie. Like, for a lot of those scenes, like, they were developing their ability to animate that before it was a thing where you would just go and, like, see the 3D. So, like, when he's, like, when they're in the, when they're on the sewer or when he's, like, getting thrown through the kitchen and almost gets cooked, like... All of that is like Remy the ride. Like it feels so much like a ride that they would, you know, build off of it at Disneyland. And that like you would see it in 3D and you're all first person and blah. And um, but I mean, and there's a lot of that, but a lot of it is just like very dense script. A lot of like funny dialogue mixed with um, just a whole lot of visuals and um, as opposed to you were talking about uh, uh, Wally, which is a completely different kind of script, which is almost entirely like a silent film in a lot of ways. Um, so this is like kind of a contrast to that to me, where it's like so funny and a lot of it is so dialogue based and voiceover and just, yeah. <laughs> Wanted to point that out. <laughs> indeed, indeed. 
Yeah, that's very well said. Um, Rob, did you have any thoughts? Uh, I, I, I said my thoughts. Well, we haven't even talked about my favorite character yet in any great length. Oh, you should talk about him. Uh, all right. Uh, so I think the secret weapon of this movie is Anton Ego. Oh, yeah. Um, he is Laura wants its character back. Yes, yes. They're very good. Uh, and obviously, well, no, I haven't seen it. I, I take your word that he is inspired by It's the by same that. person. But part of what this make, makes this, I think, a richly interesting experience is that we get with Ego, to me, is like this fake-out villain. Like, he's he's portrayed throughout the thing to be a villain, um, which I think says interesting things about the way critics are perceived uh, in terms of the artistic process. I don't know. Does anyone have any thoughts about that? Um, I think that, that he actually imagines himself to be the villain. I don't think he ever thinks he's the villain. Well, he thinks of himself as an antagonist. And, well, I mean, and this is true. Like, actually, he probably thinks of himself as, like, an anti-hero or a good guy in some way. I think he's just jaded. Uh, like, his, that's like Well, he says you've been, you've been doing this without an opponent. Yeah. What kind well, of person says that about anything unless they think of themselves as either the good guy or the bad guy? Like, he has to have some kind of, like, mentality oh no, about his place. Well, he's been competing with Gustav his entire life. It's see, but that's the thing. You're like, I don't read antagonism. I'm sure he doesn't see himself as a villain, but like, no, you know, he is. He clearly is set up as one. He, yeah, but that's the thing. He's absolutely not a villain. And even that line isn't to suggest <coughs> villainy. It's to suggest what enables the artistic process to actually be fostered, which is that you don't, you shouldn't just get to compete in a vacuum where all you hear mm -hmm. are your well wishers' good thoughts about you. What keeps the artistic process strong, what, what forges art in the fire and helps it to be its best, is having an opponent. It's not an enemy. It's not a bad guy or an even an antagonist. It's someone to push back in the other direction and to make you think about uh, what you're creating. So he's saying, we'll see. you've been doing this. It, it's like that other line he says, like, what we need is perspective. That's that's what's so interesting, like, th that you're saying that, because... Um, it does imply that he's not thinking of himself as, like, an antagonist in any means. It's that from the very get-go, he's thinking of himself in terms of uh, just being someone that, that needs to be, like, an intermediary and, and say, like, oh, well, you know, yeah, you don't get to exist in a vacuum, and I'm here to tell you whether you're good or not and he's so used to saying that things are bad and just like earned a name by being like kind of like the hard like the hard nut to crack and like the person that is just going to show up and like you know sh tear you a new one and like he like earned his whole uh um i'm blanking on the word here um hello <laughs> Help me out. Um, when you have a thing and it's what people think of you. Impression. Reputation. Reputation. He earned his reputation on like being the person that is is going to be like really hard on you and you know be that oh, like Mr. Be Hirschman. that like negative critic that just has all this power 
and you know he he gets and you're right he gets jaded and he is so used to being to writing these bad reviews well, that when he finally has the opportunity to write a good one like it just like opens up his world like he he has no idea like you know yeah, I, i've been writing these bad reviews for so long that i forgot how awesome it is to write a good let one let me let me step in here cuz i don't <laughs> i don't think like he's artificially jaded like he's, he's not artificially jaded he's actually jaded he's really used to doing this <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, exactly. Like I think it's, it's sort of supposed to kind of melt the ice from around how we view critics, because what it really is is like yeah, the job his job is to be firm. It stinks and to actually say what he thinks. No, it and it's not to it be overly. Stinks. It's not to be. It stinks. Well, like there's there. Hold there, on, hold on. It's not to be overly antagonistic that. either. It's just that when you go through a system of art that gives you a lot of processed crap, that like yeah, you can become used to things being bad. It but stinks. The, the entire but the entire beauty is that like for even the most jaded critic who's actually worth their salt, who's actually doing their fucking jobs right, all it takes is just one masterpiece to to change yep. all of that. It's good. Can I also point out, Rob, that the critic that Jay Sherman is actually like a really smart, intelligent film critic. And the reason that he says that everything stinks is because everything stinks. And when he comes across a movie that is actually good, he he just like really likes it and like will tell you that. So he'll say very good. Um, uh, And and so like I want to I want to point out that that. That maybe like rebel. maybe Gumble. Jay Sherman is a good person to compare to Anton Ego because he is so jaded and he's so used to things being so bad that when something good comes along, he's like, it doesn't stink. Like, but it's the same kind of thing because like Jay Sherman's a really smart person and he's like actually a really good film critic. And it just so happens that everything in this universe sucks. <laughs> You want to do another game? Yeah. We'll be right back. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Plot Lines, the game where you buzz in with your name, and you wait until I call your name, and then you make your guess. And if you're right, I'll say the year of the movie, and if you're wrong, I'll keep reading the plot synopsis. Oh, and by the way, you only get one turn per Yes, round. as we told you two podcasts in a row. And I have it recorded that we told you each time. It's not my fault I like to yell stuff <laughs> and say my name a lot. <laughs> For the newer listeners. All right. Are you guys ready? Mm. Yes. Your first one, and we're going to play seven this time. Your first one. Oh, uh, no, I guess we're playing two five. Uh, it's not the number of movies we count. Okay, never mind. Uh, we're playing to five points. Brady, you'll keep track of points? Yeah. Okay. A janitor. <laughs> At MIT. Brady. Goodwill Hunting. Mm. You have to wait until I say Brady. I'm oh, sorry. Brady. Goodwill Hunting. From 1997. I was so close. I knew it too. Yeah. Was so close. Which was shamefully beaten by Titanic. Really? Yes. In what year, Brady? In well, it was the '97 Oscars. Okay, who won in '96 then? Because Tess and I were talking about this. <laughs> That's later. an even worse one. That's English Patient beating Fargo. Yep. 
terrible decision. Okay, I'm gonna give you guys a hard one, possibly. Hmm. Pretty difficult one here. Actually, no, this one won't be so hard. Well, it might be. We'll, s we'll see how it is. Out with it, waiting. The story of a man and his struggles as an American gay activist. Brady? Brady. Milk? You have to wait till I say her <laughs> name, Brady. Milk. Like he was starting to say it. Yes. 2008, milk. Brady, follow the rules. Yeah. Milk? I, I mean, nobody else buzzed in, so it doesn't really matter, but in the event that somebody does, I'm going to keep hounding you on it. Come in with the milk. 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 Sorry. Way of the future. If anyone doesn't Give listen to clouds. Rob, this must be done from the beginning. I'm sorry. You're I'm sorry? So, I'm so tired right now. Why is this so hard to find the thing I'm looking for? This should be straight up. Tessa, right. lost. <laughs> That's a TV show. Wait. <laughs> um, Tessa, Harry Potter, that sixth one. Okay, you guys ready? Stuff. Are you ready? Okay, yes. <laughs> Four college girls. Brady? Brady. Spring Breakers? From 2012. Oh my god! I love that movie. Hey, I can't help it if he gets it in like, like an obscure whatever the fuck. Okay, I'm going to pick one that Brady probably won't have seen. <laughs> Since Brady has three points and everybody else has none. Um, shit. Just pick something shitty. Come on. Pick an <laughs> anime. Okay, this is a good one. This is probably something everybody's seen. Oh, wait, no. This then is... don't pick it, because we're trying to beat Brady. No, it's probably something that everybody but Brady has seen. Okay. Feudal, Rob. Just because I haven't seen Simon Birch doesn't mean I can't get it. <laughs> a flighty teenage girl. All right, we're good without Brady buzzing in yet. Learns. <laughs> Wait, Brady. Fly away home. You used your turn. Learns that she is her generation's destined battler of. Vampires. Madeline. Madeline. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. From 1992. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I like how Did nobody's willing to buzz in ahead of time to try to break. We were just laughing about. You know, chain break anybody. Isn't that right? Who? Who? Pee Wee Herman. In what? Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I don't know. I think he's the I therapist. I have seen the movie. The show's great. But I'm not but... sure. Okay, I got another one. Ready? Yes. Yeah. A struggling high school student with problems <laughs> <laughs> discovers that his family has an unusual pedigree when he finds himself turning into a werewolf. Tess. Tess. I'll read it again. <laughs> uh, Madeline? Madeline. An American werewolf in London? 
Are you guys fucking kidding me? I'll read it again. A struggling high school student with problems discovers that his family has an unusual pedigree when he finds himself turning into a werewolf. Tash, you were so close. I can't believe you fucked that up. <laughs> I've never seen it or cared. Brady? Oh. Brady. Teen Wolf. From 1985. <laughs> <laughs> I, <didn't> know. <laughs> I suck. <laughs> Wait, I... So... Does his whole family have werewolf Apparently yes. they have a pedigree, so yes. yes. Are they all good at basketball, too? What? Or, basketball's a big part of that movie. Yes, it is. It's like the only thing I know about that movie. <laughs> that is that is How correct. That is the only thing you know about that movie. That was like a joke. It's the only thing I want to know. You were telling a joke. <laughs> I think I, I think you fucked everybody else up by saying that. Because <laughs> I because I was like everyone in this movie, but not Teen Werewolf. <laughs> in, in no <laughs> way did your world. rambling, incoherent, <laughs> three-word answer even resemble anything close <laughs> to a correct answer. All right. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Well, and I said London because that's and there's God the song Werewolves of yourself. London, and, and I God totally meant Paris. It's not my fault. I never saw it. There is an, an American werewolf. Okay, if you guys there, let Brady is. buzz in before you on this one, all is lost. Like, yeah, you're just fucking... Brady. All is lost. <laughs> I I guess I can't fault you for that because I haven't started calling, uh, reading uh, yet. No, it wouldn't be a right answer if I hadn't. And yes. Okay. A young man is accidentally sent 30 years. Brady. Brady. Back to the future. From 1985. Uh, is that four or five for you? Five. Okay, I'm going to specifically pick things I know Brady I hasn't gonna seen. I was going to say that Zach Efron one where he turns into an adult. You guys don't buzz <laughs> in fast enough. That is your problem. You need to buzz in and hazard a guess. Because Brady's willing to do that. I did, and look at what it got me. I made the whole world dumber. Thanks. <laughs> May God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> the IQ of the whole block. <laughs> well, if you make us dumber, then your chances of winning. I'm Anderson. All right. <laughs> this is a good I'll, plot synopsis I'll for and this movie. I'm Brady. Because people <laughs> might not. Yeah, being Brady would be cool. <laughs> okay, this is a good one that. Uh, Everybody should have a shot at, and probably Brady hasn't seen. The discovery of a massive river of ectoplasm. Maddie! Maddie. Uh, Ghostbusters 2. From 1989. You haven't seen that, Brady? I think I've seen that. Good job. I'm glad that you got it was the second one. Well, yeah. That was obviously the second one. Because that's the one with the painting and the Right, but I don't think Brady's seen the second one. I, I was waiting for him to say the, the discovery of a massive yeah. river makes Meryl Streep very angry at Kevin Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and then the river's also mystic. I remember in the video game Not when you wild. were trying to play the part oh. where you have to lower the guy mystic down into the river. Wild river. Wild. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was mystic so hard. River wild. It's starting to All right. The. Uh, this might lead me on a good tangent. Is that my river in there? <laughs> <laughs> Is she, I like Mystic River. I won't make fun of it. Alright. Wait, how many do I need to win? One. one. I need one more? You need one more to win. Uh, give me six? 
That would give you five. I have five. I already asked what? you that. I told, and I <laughs> said five. Yes. I thought you had four. Whatever, we're playing five. to six. I but I was just letting you continue. I, those are the rules that I've just changed. <laughs> we're playing to six. Apparently yeah, everybody so. gets an extra He's round. He's backing it up with this go. He's still going to win. Rifle. All right. Brady probably hasn't seen this, but he'll probably get it before you guys do. No. This movie is a remake of the hit series which starred Phil Silvers as a guy. In this movie, he runs the motor pool and has all sorts of scams going on like gambling, renting out military vehicles, and so on, which are all violations. Yes. Ed, Ed, and Eddie. However, his commanding officer overlooks them because he is more concerned about his future because a lot of bases are being closed and the inspector was on Brady? the verge of... Brady? Stripes? On the verge of doing that. But then when he heard that the first guy who the thing is about was on the base, he turns into a mad dog. It seems that Thorn was a thorn in that first guy who the movie's about his side many years ago. But there were a series of misunderstandings. He was uh, accused of carrying out being the brains of one of the first guy's schemes. Because then he would be sent to Greenland and his career had not gone as he hoped it would and he wants revenge on the first guy. I was going to say this sounds like a terrible movie, but now I, I, I know it, and it is a terrible movie. I can't, believe, I can't believe that this plot synopsis is on IMDb and written like this. But no, you're It not, sounds like a really enthusiastic in, fan. It's like, oh, but and even then, so. Can you uh, read that again? Just say, sure. blank for, just say blank one and blank two for the name. Well, there's like four blanks, but here we go. This movie is a remake of the hit series which starred Phil Silvers as blank. In this movie, Blank runs the motor pool as he blanks all sorts of scams going on like gambling, Blanks. renting out... Is his last name used as an expletive? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just threw that in there for fun. Um, as he, as he uh, has all sorts of schemes like going on, going on like gambling and renting out military vehicles and so on, which are all violations. However, his commanding officer, Colonel Hall, overlooks them. Because he is more concerned about his future, because a lot of bases are being closed, and that inspector, Major Thorne, was on the very verge of doing that. But then when he heard that Blank was on the base, he turned into a mad dog. It seems as though Thorne was a thorn in Blank's side many years ago, but there's a, through a series of misunderstandings, Thorne was accused of being carrying out or being the brains behind one of Blank's schemes. He would... <laughs> He would be sent to Greenland, and his career had not gone as he hoped it would, and now he wants revenge on blank. <laughs> okay, only Grandy and Maddie have guesses left before it defaults. I, have no I don't clue. know any of right. the names of any James Bond movies. <laughs> Maddie, the great escape. <laughs> no, the answer was Sergeant Bilko. Yeah, this, I was like, wait, so Sergeant Bilko. But that, that's is literally a, the, the blood that synopsis sounds, that's on there. You know Bilko, Bilko. Is this Bilko? Is the other man? Me too. Bilko. I saw it in the theater because I didn't want to see the shitty ass movie my parents were seeing. And it was the second movie at a at a drive-in. All right. Holy crap. <laughs> so still playing, still playing to six. Um, that was a stumper. It yeah, was. it's hard to it's hard to. Who's gonna recognize that? It's hard to pick one that Brady's not gonna know. 
Down Periscope Bilko. <laughs> I love Down Periscope. The scientist, father of a teenage girl and boy, accidentally shrink... What is Maddie? Maddie? Maddie. Honey, I shrink the kids. That is correct, from 1989. <laughs> <laughs> I said, what is Maddie? <laughs> <laughs> Maddie. We should play this more like... Okay, I got another one here. <laughs> Maddie and Maddie. Oh, you made a reference to the worst Star Trek episode. I love you. <laughs> Man. A planet's president sends his lord to steal a planet's... Brady? Abun- Brady. The fifth element? Abundant supply of air to replenish their own, and only the Lone Star can stop them. The planet's president sends a lord to steal another planet's abundant supply of air to replenish their own, and only Lone Star can stop them. Grandy? Grandy. Lone Star? Planet's (laughs) president sends a lord to steal another planet's abundant supply of air to replenish their own, and only Lone Star can stop them. Maddie. Um... Maddie. Uh, wait, no, I don't know why I buzzed in. Um, is it, is it, um, <laughs> Spaceballs? Yes, from 1999. Whoa! I was gonna say Kroll 2 in space. <laughs> from like, 1987. I was like picturing barf Holy and I couldn't figure crap. out the name of the movie. Why? I just kept Picturing barf and and pizza the <laughs> hut. How did you remember the plot of that movie? Because I watched it a billion times. Yeah. But you, and then you weren't sure. That's the best. The whole idea is that they send Lord Darkhaven to go steal I the oxygen from I another knew, planet. I knew what the movie was. I'm just I'm drunk enough that I've lost all of my nouns, and oh. so I knew the movie and I buzzed in, but then I couldn't remember the name of the movie, even though I knew the movie. Ah, mm. okay, okay, that makes more sense than just being like. I know I buzzed in for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, it's the one with the John one. Candy and the Schwartz yeah, okay. and the pizza and the vacuum. And the, I hate that uh, movie. Okay, so I think Maddie now has like four, right? That is correct. Okay, four to five. Right. Oh. Maddie's doing well. Maddie's catching up. Everybody else is sucking balls. <laughs> Space balls. Uh, this plot synopsis is no good. Uh, let's find something else here. What is it the one for the Big Lebowski? Because <laughs> the, the dude, Cause that one's really cool bad. <laughs> is upset about his missing rug that really made the room hang together. <laughs> Nobody gave a fuck about this movie. <laughs> Dude, this will be a helpful one. Oh, but Brady might know it way too well. I don't know, but this game's gone on long enough. That's what happens when you try and fuck with Brady. Oh, wait, I got one more. I got one more. I'm going to just pull up serendipitously and see what happens here. Serendipity? I I don't fucking know. (laughs) This will be a good one. But possibly... No one's cultured enough to have seen it. Um, got culture. Sugar Ray is the owner of an illegal casino. 
who contends with the pressures of vicious gangster and corrupt policemen who want to see him go out of business. In the world of organized crime and police corruption in the 1920s... Brady? Brady. Scarface? Any dastardly trick is fair. Hey, everybody. Rob here. Um, The audio cut out at that point, but I think there was one more round, and then, well, Brady won. So, back to the cast. So we're back from that game, and now we're going to do final thoughts for this episode. Uh, Does anybody else have anything to say about the movie? We've said very much. Great, uh... Great animation. It's a good... Uh, Great food. Good uh, movie. Uh, I don't really like food. Patton Oswalt. If I didn't hilarious. have to eat, I wouldn't. Lots uh, of great comedians. Great but I do have to eat, so I go through that mechanical process uh, a few times a day. It's kind of a pain in the ass. But uh, I guess the food was pretty. Yeah. Uh, Brady? Uh, you know, you know, I love it. Um, yeah, no, I just yeah, uh, man, I love it. I, I like I'll, that. I'll fly the movie's flag for it. Uh, artists out there, just uh, make things that are are personal to you and uh, uh, be intellectual and rigorous and simultaneously speak from the heart. That's that's art. I liked Pat Oswalt's bit. About doing mushrooms on Halloween and giving a kid that was dressed as Remy Candy and being like, you're inside me. That's my last thought. Uh, So what do you guys want to do next week? The Haunting. Don't look now. I nominate my second favorite movie, Ghostbusters. That's your after Roger Rabbit. That's your second favorite movie. I did not know that. It was hard to choose between those two when somebody asked me. The Haunting, because Halloween, and it's my favorite horror movie. Uh, Don't Look Now, for the same reason. Okay, I'll suggest another Halloween-y one. Uh, Even though we got some time till Halloween, I think. Maybe we could do all three. Possibly. Um, um, We'll just do a Halloween fest um, for the month of October, remaining month of October. Uh, bringing up baby. Doesn't it's not Halloweeny. Doesn't have J- J- Jimmy Stewart in it, but I'm doing that impression anyway. It's got Cary Grant, Catherine, Catherine <laughs> That was kind of Fran Drescher. Um, and that's a Halloween movie. No, I mean just take place He's at a museum suggesting. and there are bones. I wasn't suggesting Ghostbusters because it was a Halloween movie. I just wanted to watch Ghostbusters. But it's got uh, ghosts and Halloween, and that's. <laughs> Pretty cool idea. Uh, okay. Um, what's the one that you wanted? Don't look now. Huh. Uh, I don't know what to choose. Uh, throw out some more suggestions. The I haunting. Th- you already did that. Did I? How about uh, the Amityville Horror 3D? I mean, what? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was made in like massacre. 1980. No. Original, original Texas Chainsaw no. Massacre. Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes. Exorcist? Nyeh, I don't like it. It's uh, a good movie. Brady I just watched I Carrie, I think, so. 
Carrie's not Me that good. Me and Maddie were just no, talking about good, Carrie. I hated scene, it. And I haven't seen it for a while. It's so um, silly. Characters do things that make no sense. Yeah, it's really People weird. People behave in the stupidest only do ways. good movies on this podcast. That is true. I want to vote for the first time for The Haunting. Okay. Brady says Haunting. I didn't say The Haunting. I said <laughs> masterful <laughs> director Nicholas Rogue for Don't Look Now. Because I love him. Cool guys. That great. Uh, do better. That's w- anybody with four. Do I mean, better. I think Ghostbusters tops all of these, actually. But the haunting. G- Ghostbusters. I don't know. I think we have two votes for the know. haunting. I don't know <laughs> if Ghostbusters <laughs> tops don't look now. Um. All right. Let's just do the haunting, and we can do Ghostbusters after that. Hopefully. Then Tess will finally shut up about the haunting. Yeah. Why do we want gay marriage? The haunting. Reason number one, because they pay taxes. Reason number two, so they'll shut the hell up. Reason number three, the haunting. Yes. <laughs> three, two, one. Melissa, theme song. <laughs> Carnivorous couch. It happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous couch. With Brady and Rob. This, this is amazing. If I if I grab my penis, it controls my penis. It's wild. <laughs>